Hey guys, John here, one half of your Polaroid Pervert Podcasters, just here to let you know that this interview with Jonathan Doe features a very in-depth discussion of his newest film, Defilement of a Porcelain Doll, so this will be your spoiler warning. If you have not seen the movie yet, and uh, you care about spoilers, you may want to go get you a copy at putridproductions.com, which you absolutely should, because we both absolutely love this movie, and then come back and listen to it, and uh, we hope you do, because this is our favorite interview we've done with Jonathan yet. Uh, Jonathan is awesome. And we always appreciate him coming on. And, uh, yeah, go support him at Simmons Underbelly, uh, Murderbilly Show and Tell, PutureProductions.com, all that goodness. And we hope you enjoy. And once again, spoiler warning. Cult Collectibles is the number one site for historical items from the People's Temple, Heaven's Gate, Om Shinrikyo, and many other cults that you never even knew existed. Hundreds of hours of work have gone into curating our collection of unique and one-of-a-kind items from the dark history of these groups. We also have a large selection of true crime memorabilia from such notorious cases as Edmund Kemper, Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, and many more. We add new items to the site every week and post sales and auctions on our Instagram at Cult Collectibles. So visit us on the web at cultcollectibles.org today. Hey, this is Stephen Byer from Iron Films, and you're listening to Sick on Cinema. So since the last time we talked to you, um, you started up the uh, Murderbilia Show and Tell YouTube channel, yep. which uh, has been doing pretty well, it seems. Where did the idea for that come from, and how do you see like doing videos for that differing from like Cinema's Underbelly? Uh, well, I've always had uh, interest in uh, true crime, and then I ended up forming a relationship with Taylor from Cult Collectibles and kind of just like accidentally stumbled like into the murderbilia community and ended up i had like i had a couple relics like not a whole bunch but i ended up accumulating a whole bunch of stuff like pretty quickly and um i was just like this is fucking cool and and it just seemed like a hobby that was like way out of my budget you know like because because you see like a gacy painting for like 1400 bucks or or 14,000 bucks and i was and i just figured that was the budget for everything but then I found that there was stuff that was a lot smaller than that. So I kind of started just collecting like some of the heavy hitter stuff. Like I ended up getting like Richard Ramirez letters and stuff from BTK. And I ended up getting like 10 things. And I was like, I really, with all my collecting, I always want to like feel like I'm making something productive out of it. You know, that's why it was cinema's underbelly. Like, Oh, I can talk about each one of these films that I have in my collection. And then I had this, I started accumulating true crime stuff and I was like, well, this would be a cool thing to talk about. And I don't know. I just feel like I have all of these little facets that I'm interested in. And um, I think it's like, that's why I like start my, I started my podcast, the uneasy train explorers club. Cause then I can like interview porn stars and people who do uh, crime scene cleaning and all that kind of stuff. And so that allows me to have that uh, cathartic avenue to explore and, Cinema's Underbelly is my avenue to do cinema, and now I have Murderbilia Show and Tell to talk about true crime. So, I don't know. I just I always decide to have more on my plate than I can handle. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I really uh, I'm having fun with it, and uh, I really like. For those who haven't watched it, um, the sh- the channel kind of has two areas of focus. There's videos that are show and tell episodes where I kind of. Uh, show an item from my collection and talk about the the case behind it and then there's episodes which I call field trips and I usually have like a guest and we'll drive out to a location where 
something happened. So like I've been to like the heavens, the heavens gate mansion with Taylor. Um, I went to the Richard Speck house or nurse dormitory place where the murders happened with Felicia. Um, I've had Henry Derrick Ellis, who's, um, who's does, who's like a musician and does stuff with people from like Megadeth and whatever. And we've done like LA tours and stuff. So it's gaining traction pretty quickly. And um, I don't know, it's just pretty well received. So I'm uh, my plan is that uh, I've been really busy putting out this new movie, but once the dust settles with that and it's out, I'm going to be regularly putting stuff out both through, through murderbilia show and tell and cinema's underbelly. That's going to be my next endeavor. How, how do you see the like uh, true crime community and like the extreme underground or just horror community in general differentiating? Is there like a line between them or do you think they're very similar? I think that there's like an overlap, but there's like, there's definitely an overlap. I meet a lot of people who are into true crime, who are into horror as well. And then, um, and vice versa. Um, but then I think that there's, I mean, everyone's limit is kind of, uh, suggest, uh, subjective. Right. And so some people would probably like, I've had people get upset about films that are like based off of true crime. Like I've gotten shit with the degenerates because I made a movie about something that was real. So that that's someone's line, you know, and it's their own, it's relative to them. So those people exist in the extreme community and, and there's for them, there's that line and they probably wouldn't be interested in murderabilia. Right. But then there's other people who are kind of interested in both. So I think there's definitely an overlap, but there's definitely also kind of like a barrier like that. That might be, that might be the ceiling for somebody, you know? So, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, like there's that kind of, um, spectrum of like extreme, some people stop at like, oh, once it, once it starts getting into the fetish stuff, I'm I'm fucking gone. Or once it starts getting into true crime, I'm gone. So, yeah, I mean, I fuck up, I fuck with this little niche group of people who kind of are down with all that kind of stuff. In recent memory, there's been a little bit of a pushback on true crime stuff, like with the controversy with the Dahmer documentary and things of that nature, where I didn't feel like that was a thing not too long ago. What do you think that stems from? Uh, well, I don't want to get like super like political, but I do think that there's, you get a lot of attention for, uh, canceling, like being like canceling people is a trend right now. You know, you find, you find something problematic and it gives you purpose. You know, I think for a lot of people, oh, we're going to, we got to stop this thing. And so I think for a lot of people, uh, like I've I've known about Jeffrey Dahmer since I was a kid, but I but I'm realizing that there's a whole new generation of people who didn't grow up in the '90s and and didn't know about Jeffrey Dahmer who were born in like I don't know dude like someone born in 2000 is like 22 years old right now you know, and so there's like literal adults who like <laughs> weren't around for 9/11 and weren't around for mm-hmm. Jeffrey Dahmer, and so they are now just discovering. Um, discovering these cases right and there's this kind of uh culture where if we find something problematic we need to take action and stop it right and so that's why you kind of see people like trying to cancel elvis because elvis dated someone underage right like this was so long ago everyone involved is dead like this is kind of like a weird hill to die on you know Mm -hmm. and the same thing with like jeffrey dahmer everyone's all these people learned about Jeffrey Dahmer and, are, Jeffrey Dahmer and are now upset, but it's like, dude, that happened in 1994. Like he died in 1994. Uh, it's pretty, it's all old news, you know, but uh, I think that it's like, I don't know, it's bubbling up into this new generation of, of activists that want to feel like they need to make a difference every time they see something uh, problematic. But um the other thing that I think that I've I've got two points related to that. First thing is that that Dahmer show is the most popular, successful thing that Netflix has ever fucking had, right? Yeah. <laughs> so all these people that are sitting here and saying boycott Jeffrey Dahmer, like 
you're probably watching it too, dude. Like if you look, if you just statistically look at the numbers, most people have sat down and watched it. Right. And if you want to think about who's making the most money off of Jeffrey Dahmer, it's Netflix and the producers and everybody behind that show. It's not fucking true crime collectors who are fucking selling a Jeffrey Dahmer fork for a hundred bucks. And we get fucking comments from people being like, you should give that money to the fucking victims. Like the dude killed tons of people you want me to divide a hundred dollars between like how, how many fucking people do that's like, that's like sense to people. I'm going to, mm. if I was going to give it to anybody, I'm going to give them Trump change. You know, it's almost like an insult. Um, like I feel like the, um, the focus is misguided. Like go be mad at the studio that like created an entire docu series on this thing and is making millions of dollars, you know, if, if you're upset about it, but I, yeah, I think the reason is that it's a new generation. Uh, society and culture are different. And so you're kind of just seeing the new generation respond to old news. Yeah, definitely. Um, so with EGN3 dropping, um, where did the idea for it come from? <laughs> um, it wasn't something that like just popped in my head. I, um, after I finished the degenerates, I kind of like hit a wall and I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do next. Like, I literally remember saying to my friend, like, I feel like I'm out of ideas. Like, I don't know what to do next. Um, but I wanted to, what I wanted to do was I felt like I had explored, um, popular avenues with the first two films, like, um, a metaphilia or, or vomit fetish is not anything new to extreme cinema. I just took something that I like and kind of gave it my own like flavor, you know, it was my, it was my opportunity to throw, kind of throw my hat into the arena and see what I could, what I could bring up. You know, I wanted to make something unique and different. And the same can be said with uh, the degenerates, you know, like everyone and their brother has made a fucking found footage movie or a pseudo snuff movie. And necrophilia has been done to fucking death but i felt like i had an idea that was fresh and new that i could bring to the table so i did that as well so my mindset was well if i'm going to make another one of these movies like i've kind of covered the more common bases this would be interesting to do something new that it, that you don't really see you know like that you don't see in um kind of the extreme pornography that's kind of being circulated and stuff and um, I wanted to kind of like dive into kind of uncharted territory. Not that it's uncharted with other countries, but it's not stuff that people are really covering in our corner of the world, you know? So one thing that I was really interested interested in was uh, there's this DVD called Face Torture. And it's just this really bizarre video of this guy kind of like doing facial distortion on this woman. And it's not really extreme or anything, and it doesn't really get pornographic at all. It's just uh, him like putting a stocking on her head and using it to manipulate her face or putting tape on her face to hold it in weird positions or drawing makeup on her and stuff. And I was like, that's just such an interesting concept. And I had seen in other like Japanese pornography the use of like facial uh, restraints, like dental retractors that keep people's mouths open or nostril hooks and stuff. So I was really interested in that stuff too. And I was like, what is, what is this called? Like, what is this fetish called? Because like with vomit, it's emetophilia with piss, it's urolongia. If you know the name of it, then you can actually kind of like, it's kind of opens the door for you to explore this stuff further. Right. And so I didn't know, what this facial distortion thing was, you know? So I started kind of like looking into stuff and I came across this term called, um, psilorophilia. And so I was like, Oh, and it kind of, and basically what I discovered is psilorophilia is this umbrella fetish, like an umbrella term, which is basically taking something that you desire or find attractive. It could be a person or it could be an object and, defiling it and soiling it and making it dirty and filthy and gross right and what i discovered is that a lot of like fetishes can fall under this umbrella of sailorophilia right more common things are like 
facials, you know, that that's taking a beautiful woman and covering her and come and making her f- filthy. Same with like face fucking with like makeup running down their face and making them look messy that can fall under that category. So could things like piss fetishes, vomit fetishes, uh, scat, all that stuff can fall in there too. But then on the other end of that spectrum is like really extreme stuff. Like you see in the Genki Genki films or the LPS films where they're like covering people in animal guts, you know? And so I was like, I was kind of like excited. Cause I was like, Whoa, like there's a whole spectrum here. And it's kind of like this, uh, under this umbrella, I can explore all these different kinds of things. And so uh, I hadn't really discovered that yet. I was, this was before that I was still kind of like looking into this face torture stuff or facial distortion stuff. And I hit up Felicia and was kind of like, well, uh, do you want to just do something? Like it was almost kind of like, um, almost like kind of like a practice thing, like just to keep the creative juices going. I basically asked Felicia if she'd be down to do like a facial distortion thing. And it was going to be really simple. It wasn't even going to be like, I didn't even know if it was going to get distribution or not. I didn't know if it was going to be anything. It was just going to be us fucking around basically and kind of like seeing where it goes. Um, And I asked her about it and she said she was down, but she said that she thought it'd be cool if we got another person and she could be like dominated by that person. And I was like, well, if you can find somebody. And so I kind of like left it up to her. Like if you want to find somebody, you can find somebody. And then meanwhile, I, I discover sailor Ophelia and then she gets back to me and she tells me that puck would be little puck would be interested in it. And so now that I have like this definition and this whole kind of like, at this whole world to explore this fetish world to explore and now i've got puck and felicia on board i'm like okay well now we actually have like the building blocks the foundation to actually like make something out of this and so i started thinking like okay well how i make movies typically is i think of like an interesting scene right like with the degenerate or with barf bunny i was thinking like okay i want to see this girl puking into like a cookie jar or with the degenerates, I, that the tea party scene was the first thing I thought of. And I was like, what can I build around this tea party scene, right? And so with Felicia and Puck, I had this envision of her having all of these um, uh, facial restraints on. And I was like, okay, what can we build around that? Why is Puck's character dominating her? And I started thinking about uh, this term sailorophilia and that it can be towards a person or or an object. And so I started thinking, well, what if... Puck's character looks at Felicia as an object. She's not even, she's not even a human being. And I started thinking like, well, Felicia's like a piece of clay that can be molded and crafted. And that's where like the concept of like a slab being referred to as a slab came into play. And then um, and then I thought of the the idea of a canvas, which led to the idea of an artist. And so it ultimately came up with the idea that. Uh, Puck's character is this maniacal artist who who uh, abducts women and uses them as canvases for her to engage in sailorophilia. And the cool thing about sailorophilia is it allowed me to explore all of these fetishes I was interested in and give homage to all these films that I'm really influenced by. So it's kind of a long-winded story, but it's kind of it was started from nothing and it grew into this really i feel it it doesn't feel like a complex story but to me it feels like a complex story you know the the journey of it i guess mm. <clears throat> uh when, when it comes to like little pug were you familiar with her work beforehand and, we, and with her and what does she bring to the movie because i thought her performance was really fucking great and like especially the way that like as she becomes like furthering in the extremity and escalation and messiness, the more childlike she gets. <laughs> yeah, that stuff I thought was really fucking good. So yeah, what does she bring to the movie, do you think? Uh, I had known about Puck for a long time. Uh, I, uh, I've been working with Felicia for a long time and, and I'm friends with her. And, uh, and so, and Felicia and Puck have done tons and tons and tons of content together. They have a 
like series that they do called Gaslight Your Girlfriend or the some kind of Gaslighting Girlfriend series. And they're like these different scenarios where Puck is kind of like dominating Felicia and gaslighting Felicia. And uh, Felicia showed me one of their videos and it was um, from the Gaslight series. And it's like Puck playing a psychologist and like manipulating Felicia to do all these erotic things or whatever and i was so impressed with puck's performance as this psychologist like i was like dude she actually seems like a real doctor like Mm -hmm. it was super believable it wasn't like your typical like porn acting it was like legit not that porn acting is not acting but it felt like very serious acting and i was like i was really impressed by it and i knew that puck did like fetish stuff too and so um yeah i just it just i i felt like at some point um our worlds were going to collide you know i was working a lot with felicia she she was working a lot with felicia eventually was going to happen um and i just knew i had a lot of confidence and faith that she was going to um do well with with the character of the artist and she did she she actually created that person because I don't write scripts. I write treatments and a treatment is basically just kind of like an outline of the story. Um, because I kind of, I, I always do, uh, improvised dialogue with my films. And so basically I kind of gave puck like an outline of what I thought the artist was going to be. And then she kind of built off of that. And when we finally met up, cause we live in different States. When we finally met up, I was so blown away and so impressed with puck. She had a, she had her treatment and it was written all over. It was all of this stuff about the artist. And she had all of these lines that she wanted me to approve. Like, well, what do you think about the artist saying a comment like this? And it was all the stuff that you hear in the movie, like calling Felicia a slab, calling her a piggy, calling her like all of these different names. Um, and yeah, she just, I mean, I, I can, I have nothing but praise for Puck. She's professional in everything that she does. And, and yeah, the, the, that artist character was completely crafted by Puck. Like she invented that person and I think executed it perfectly. And, and she really understood the narrative and where we were going to go that like, it was going to start out and then it was going to escalate and her character was going to get more aroused and more uh, kind of unhinged as the film went on. So yeah, Puck, Puck is amazing. Uh, um, the whole movie has this whole like dystopian feel to it. Like it feels like it doesn't take place in our world almost. Um, and I think the way uh, you, you shot those scenes in particular, like the, uh, the B roll scenes, um, all look fantastic and give this feeling that you're not in our current reality almost if that makes any sense no that's a that's exactly what i wanted it i wanted it to feel like it was like i don't know like an other like a familiar world but an other world you know like that it was kind of like a dystopian rundown town you know and um that there it it is occupied to a degree you know there's like it's she lives under the train tracks and stuff but it's not a place that you would really want to wander around by yourself or anything like that and that she's just one of probably uh, a variety of different characters you don't want to run into in this fucked up world that exists but yeah i mean uh but all of the external shots were in gary indiana and uh that place uh like for every house for every like three houses there's an abandoned house so and like uh yeah we went to an abandoned school and we went to an abandoned church and that's where a lot of that stuff was shot so uh, i think i i definitely feel like it all came together really really well so i'm glad that that's kind of the impression that you got because that's what i was shooting for the movie definitely gets pretty intense at some points too. What what is shooting stuff like that like? Is there kind of like, all right, this is how far we're gonna go, or do you kind of just play it by ear? Uh, well, every single thing in the film was, um, 
heavily discussed and like nothing was like as much as things seem like we just were doing it on the fly it was all very calculated um like i said we're all in different states so we would have like zoom calls and like we'd sit and talk about like what do we want like where do we want to go with this scene and um a lot of the stuff of the scenes in the movie were like i have in the film that it was written by me felicia and puck and I kind of came up with like the basic outline of the film, but for the each individual scene, it was a collaborative effort with each of us. Like I, I basically told them like, I want this film to be disgusting. I want it to be nasty. What do you guys want to do? And um, so much of like the scenes that are, that are really fucking gross were the idea of Felicia or Puck and um uh, and it was very like we knew exactly how things were going to go. Um, but I will say that even if you're prepared, like even if you're fucking prepared that you're going to go shoot this thing, uh, being up up close and personal with it and having having it happen is a whole nother fucking thing. Like uh, having someone vomit like, I don't know, a foot from your face, like so often I got so close that I didn't know if I was going to get fluids like on me or not. Like uh, Felicia has this joke, like, Oh, you're in the splash zone, you know? And uh, the splash zone is a very uh, unique place to be in your life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another aspect of the film I like a lot too, is how the movie is broken up by portraits. Um, Where did that ideal come from? And what did the ideal of using the Polaroid come from? Um, so when I was thinking about the idea for the film, I mean, the idea of the film is that someone is being held captive and they're being systematically tortured. Right. And I went, well, that reminds me of, uh, devil's experiment, the Guinea pig film devil's experiment. And I, and I really, I mean, that film has some pretty incredible moments and it also has some kind of like cheesy moments, you know, like the hitting isn't that most that believable or anything, but I really like the aesthetic of it. I like that it's broken into chapters and it'll say like hit, and then they'll have a scene where a girl's getting hit and then they'll say kick and it's the girl getting kicked and they'll say like, I, and they fucking shove a needle in her eye, you know? And so I kind of wanted to do something similar to that with this film and have it be broken into chapters as well, but instead make it portraits. And um, I don't know. I, I, I think with the, in regards to the Polaroids, um, it was kind of like a throwback to the degenerates. Like, I don't know if I would go so far as saying that these films have any tie, like tie to each other. They're all kind of their own thing, but I kind of like to draw like little, I don't know, maybe invisible lines or connections to them in some way. It's like, they're like parallel universes, you know? Mm. So I don't know, that's probably getting too deep into it, but I just thought like, Oh, well, we we fucked around with Polaroids a little bit in the Degenerates. It'd be cool to like go kind of heavy-handed with the Polaroids in this one as well, but make it distinctly different enough that you wouldn't kind of make the connection that they're I'm just copying the other film or anything. But and the other thing is that the fans fucking love Polaroids, dude. Like when I when I did the Polaroids for the Degenerates, the Polaroids sold out in like a day, like all of them. So I was really hoping that <laughs> people were gonna take it get a kick out of these polaroids uh for this for this film as well and it's been pr- been pretty good so uh but it also kind of like complimented puck's character that she's like immortalizing this process you know because she did it with canvas a now she's doing it with canvas b and she has this like photo book of memories of her sexual exploits I don't think it's a uh, digging too deep to draw a through line. Cause I picked up immediately like on like ties to the other movies as well, where I was like, these almost seems like they live in the same universe. So I don't know. I think there is something to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you picked up on that. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't decided yet if these all exist in the same world or not, but maybe it's like a, like what's that movie? Uh, nightmare before christmas and you go to the fucking tree and there's the, all the holiday trees <laughs> could be yeah <laughs> um the another aspect of it i really love too was like um the mashing of like these bright 
colorful outfits and like this porcelain, literal porcelain doll to this like grungy rundown building. Um, did you go put a lot of thought into like the like set design and stuff like that of this one? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really wanted to, um, like this is the most expensive film that I've made so far. And I really hope that it kind of like shows on camera that, <laughs> that I spent a lot of money on it. Um, but yeah, I, I really invested a lot of money in, in the visual aesthetic of everything. Um, we shopped around for a long time in terms of like where we were going to shoot, shoot it and stuff. And I love the location that we found. And I do like the contrast between the like vibrant latex that um that the characters wear in comparison to this like disgusting place like you know like they're so shiny and slick and they're fucking around in a place that you i don't know the the five second rule does not apply you know (laughs) (laughs) and i mean you want to talk about you want to talk about kind of like through lines like i feel like the polaroids are kind of a through line to the the degenerates but the colorful outfits are a through line to barf bunny you know yeah um and and with the porcelain doll like and puck like talking to the doll where did that idea come from um well i liked the i've seen in like mari and dora films that he'll have porcelain dolls like just kind of pop up and i always felt like that was just like a really good sprinkle of detail in his films. And so I kind of liked, and I have two sisters and they always had porcelain dolls when I was younger. And I remember going in their room and always being kind of freaked out by their fucking porcelain dolls. Um, And so I kind of just liked the idea of, I think I came up with the name defilement of a porcelain doll before there was an actual doll involved in the film. Um, but I went, well, uh, I was thinking of like Felicia being a porcelain doll. Like you, you see in a lot of the, um, Japanese films, like you got tumbling doll of flesh. Like I kind of wanted to like do a play on a title like that, you know? Um, and so I was thinking at first, maybe Felicia being a porcelain doll, but as the more we went along and we're talking about how insane and crazy, the artist character was going to be i kind of wanted to um show how kind of like delusional and crazy this person was by having her have an imaginary friend that's kind of guiding her through her decision process it's almost like she's not the crazy one it's the doll that's telling her what to do kind of thing so um yeah that's kind of where where it came from and I just liked I just liked that every single time she went to go put stuff back into her Polaroids that she had a little little chat with her doll about how everything was going. So something I really love about this one in particular is like especially if you know the influence like some of the influences uh of the film, like you can like point point at it like, hey, I I recognize that and we you know what that's you know an homage to but while it also has its own, you know, unique and um, original flavor to it, I think you did a fantastic, fantastic job with that as well. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I always try to. I wouldn't say this is the case with all of my work. I've got like lots of different things up in the air right now, but I really wanted the um, erotic grotesque nonsense series to be very, like, filled with homage, filled with um i don't know it's kind of the whole thing is kind of like me uh acknowledging all of these these influences and and primarily because you you hear people talk about these films but you really don't hear people like uh giving them giving them the like praise that i think they deserve you know like i really don't think that like slaughtered vomit dolls would be a thing if it wasn't for terrible meal you know, so I think that you should. Uh, I think it's important as fans to like kind of acknowledge that stuff, and um, and as much as like like LPS is was one of the most disturbing things I'd ever seen. So incorporating elements of that into this film was like kind of important to me. And um, yeah, I mean, these are films that are like 
talked about within our community as being like super fucked up. Like everyone kind of talks about Genki Genki, but no one's fucking kind of giving it the credit. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's almost like they're so, they're so fucked up that they're like taboo to even acknowledge. And so I think, uh, it's, I don't know. I'm doing something, I guess a little bit different by, um, I don't know, giving, giving this, this really truly underbelly part of our extreme community, some, some credit and recognition. I think my favorite aspect of the movie is the ending. And, um, you know, it's just like the perfect little period to the sentence almost like, I don't know. I find that like a lot of times, like being subtle is almost just as good as like going crazy with it. And that moment is like, it's just like when you sit there and you're like, you're left with silence and in that moment in the imagery and it's like, damn, this is fucked up, you know? (laughs) Like, Yeah. Oh, you know, was that something that you had planned out from the beginning? Did it kind of like develop as time went on? Like, how did you come up with the ending of the movie? Well, the, uh, so the whole movie is basically we're just kind of watching someone get off. Like that's like if we're going to be if we're going to cut it to bare bones, the plot of this movie is watching the artist get off to what she's doing, right? And so in my head it was like just it made sense that she was going to climax at the end of all this. It's like a whole build up to this whole thing and I wanted it to be well both at like you think of like climax like an orgasm but you also think of like a climax like the climax of a film and i kind of wanted both of those definitions to kind of like run parallel with each other and so i was thinking like where where is this going to go after the the gore scene you know with all the animal parts and stuff and so to me i she had to kill she had to kill her canvas like that was that was that was the finishing touch of the thing and so i was like how great would it be that she reaches orgasm at the same moment that her canvas dies? Like she finishes her art and she finishes her, I don't know, sexual performance at the same time. And so I was trying to think like, how could I do this? You know? So I came up with the idea of the rope um, and that she's like strangling her canvas at the same time. And that was a, that was something that I wrote on paper and I was like, this is either going to come off and be very a powerful ending or it's going to be an underwhelming ending. And I was, and so I was really worried, like make, I was so scared with this movie. I felt like I was taking a lot of risk with this one in that this film was going to be either underwhelming and be kind of tame compared to the other two, or it was going to play out the way I wanted it to and have it be, uh, have it have like a visceral response, a visceral reaction, and with everyone that I've shown the film to, it's the same kind of thing. They say that the ending is is pretty significant and memorable and and different. And um, I liked the I, I liked that like when she's done, she's done, and she does not fucking care. She didn't care that she killed this person. She never looked at him like a person anyway. They were truly a slab. They truly were uh, a canvas. And when they when she finished, it was time to close up her art studio and leave. And you're just kind of left there like, fuck, you know, and that's how I wanted it to be. Yeah. And I, and I love the aspect too, that you kind of linger just a little bit. Like after the lights go out, you linger there just a little bit, just to get that little last, you know, like really <laughs> sit there and have to think about it for a little bit more. I don't know. That was like, to me, like, I was like, damn, that's a fucking great ending. We're definitely going to put a warning. <laughs> <on this>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, when I watched it, I was definitely like, I think this is your best movie. Yeah. Thank um, you. And if anybody complains about it, not having like a big gore set piece, I'm like, what the hell else did you want? I mean, it goes about as far as you can go. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like my films are very divisive. People either like think that they're fantastic or they think they're fucking dog shit. Like you can go on a letterbox and look at the reviews and it's like literally like that it's like a pull like a polar opposites is people saying this is fucking trash don't see it or people saying like this is my favorite movie of the year or whatever um and so i feel like it's one of those things like you either get it or you don't fucking get it you know and uh, i think a lot of people are gonna watch it and fucking get it and think this is really cool and then there's gonna be people like and be like this is 
this is the most weird dumb thing i've ever fucking seen so um but i think for people who are like well versed in my inspirations and and the kind of cinema that this where this was kind of built from i think are going to be able to like admire that kind of stuff and like i do think it's weird that people are saying like it has no gore but when it has literally a one of the chapters is called gore yeah Uh, (laughs) but uh yeah i mean it's the same it's the same kind of thing like i still to this day get a lot of shit because with the degenerates we didn't kill you didn't see the kill happen on camera you know but Mm -hmm. um you also didn't see fucking uh you didn't in the real case you didn't see him die on camera either like it's what you the infamous image is the aftermath of this yep. person being cut up you know so that was kind of my logic anyway and i also like i personally like art that doesn't fucking uh tie everything up in a little tiny bow for you you know that it doesn't have a traditional fucking story arc and at the end everybody is happy and all the questions have been answered and whatever. Like if you want to see that, then go fucking watch a Disney movie, dude. But uh, yeah. So I think, I don't know. I don't really know where I was going with it, but I feel my point is, is that I think the same kind of people that are going to be pissed off that you didn't actually watch a person die in the degenerates is going to be the same kind of thing. Like, yeah, you're watching someone get covered in gore, but because you're not seeing a knife actually go into somebody, it doesn't count for some reason. Mm-hmm. Which I think So, but yeah, whatever teach their own you know i thought about when i was watching it too i was like you know the rope and, and her getting off while she's doing it is far more disturbing and like a more poignant image than if she came around the corner with a, a chainsaw and you got this goofy over the top gore effect at the end of it you know that wouldn't have fit the tone of the movie at all so you know <laughs> why do that you know to me was, i don't know i think you nailed it thank you yeah i mean i think it's the subtleties or it's what's the things that are not that I'm not that I'm comparing myself to this, but like I think one of the reasons why Hitchcock is fucking Hitchcock is that so many things leave it to your imagination. You're not actually you didn't actually see it, you know. Like in fucking Psycho, you didn't actually see the knife ever penetrate somebody, you know. Or like I I like the idea of that things are implied and that horrific things can be implied, and that uh, you just got to think about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Same with the ending of the ending for the film, you know, like that canvas is still uh, presumably in there rotting right now. Yeah. <laughs> the disturbing thought. Yeah. It's very sad. <laughs> um, you kind of talked a little bit about like, you know, after the degenerates feeling like you didn't have any ideals left, you know, and it's probably tough cause you know, this one's still pretty fresh, you know, just now coming out and everything do you know what's next do you have an ideal of where you might go next uh well i the one thing that i really enjoy about this series is that so much of it is is real you know like the vomiting is real the fucking piss is real like a lot of this stuff and it's kind of uh and what I like about that is that it kind of like, like, yes, there's practical, there's moments where there's practical effects and then there's moments when there's not. And it kind of like teeters that line, like where's the boundary, you know? And so I kind of want to push that further and there's fetishes like blood play. That's something I would like to explore. And there's a couple adult actresses that I found there really into like impact play, like legit getting punched in the face. And I mean, I haven't even talked to him, but that's like a, that's a very interesting thing thing to explore. Is if you actually watch someone who legit is down for you to beat him up, that would be a very visceral, unpleasant fucking thing to see on camera. Like, especially if you could get them to act like that, you're not into it. So, uh, that's. I mean, if I, I don't really know, but I think it would be pretty crazy to have like, uh, a movie where, I don't know a girl gets abducted or something and you legit watch her get tortured, you know? Uh, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's too extreme. <laughs> <laughs> hey, as long as everyone's consenting, then I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, you'll see the behind, like, I don't know. That's why I put the behind the scenes with all my stuff is like, obviously consent is super important and making sure everyone is, is down for what's going on. Like I would never, 
like I can, I can say with confidence that everything that I've done in any of my films, not only was it like consensual, but it was like eagerly pursued by the talent involved in the film. Like they wanted to do it. It's not me being like this hard director saying like, you know what? I paid you. You have to do this. You sign, you sign the documents. It's like, this is going to be fun. Like we're all having fun um, doing it. And if some, if, if someone told me that they were like on the fence, I would just scrap it from the script altogether. Cause mm-hmm. I don't want to push someone in a direction that they're not comfortable with. I only want to do things where it's like, uh, I don't know. This is, this is something they do all the time. You know, Felicia pukes regularly. It's not like I pushed her in that direction. She was already doing it when I met her, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I would, I would like to continue that with my career that, everything we're all having fun like you can these movies are uh really disturbing but behind the scenes we're all kind of just having a blast you know yeah yeah. an aspect i meant to ask about earlier that i that i really enjoy about your movies is, is though you are pushing the fetishes you know and that's the whole inspiration behind it you keep the horror like real strong how important is it to like balance those two for you well I mean, I've heard people refer to these kind of films uh, in different, calling them different names, but I call I call them fetish gore films. Like I would say that the genre that the that I'm making is fetish gore, and I feel like there are a handful. Like we're almost in like the middle of like a movement. You know, you've mm-hmm. got Sam Hell making fetish gore films. You had Lucifer Valentine and the stuff that he had done. You've got the um, Channel 309 films. Like we're in the middle of like an era that I think down the road people are going to be like talking about. Like there was this, there was this period of time where people were making these fetish gore films, and so I really, when I think about it, I think about that that definition, fetish gore, that it needs a fairly balanced amount of both, you know. So. Um, I never want to just make a film that, at least within the EGN universe, I don't want to make something that's just strictly a fetish film or strictly a gore film. Like it has, in order to be an EGN film, it has to be fetish and gore together. So that's kind of when I'm writing my treatment or writing my narrative for the film, there's got to be components of both um, and fair to a fairly equal degree like i feel like this new film is very heavy with the fetish stuff but the overall tone is disturbing Mm -hmm. and scary and unpleasant so it's got it's erotic within a horrifying environment or a horrifying world yeah and you know you talked about like you know we're kind of in the boom period right now of the fetish horror stuff um what do you think could be the next big thing though? Like what do you think is going to blow up in the underground next? Um, I don't really know, man. Like I'm thinking, I'm like looking at the things that are like really popular right now. Um, and I don't know. I think we all are standing from different vantage points of what we see, but like, uh, with the iceberg that came out, like mixtapes are fucking super popular right now, but I don't really ever see, see that becoming anything substantial. I feel like that's just kind of like a weird, weird thing. Um, I don't really know where it's going to go. I think, I think maybe the next direction is going to be more, um, like I wouldn't say psychological, but like just like horrific circumstances, you know, like, a story about like um like antichrist you know the plot of antichrist is fucked like just the whole plot of it is fucked you mm-hmm. know um or like funny games like funny games doesn't have um explicitly visually violent graphic stuff but the circumstances that are taking place are fucking awful you know and those are the kind of films that honestly bother me the most is the ones where it's just like this this is just this is just hell <laughs> like what right, I'm yeah. right now is just fucking horrific you know and um so i feel like everyone's pushing the the envelope but like uh like i don't know you think about um a serbian film right and there's that infamous baby scene that 
to me, that scene in itself isn't what's so fucked up about the movie. It's like the trauma that happens to this family is what's so horrible about that movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you took, if you're able to take that, like if you were able to have something bad happen to a kid, but you actually care, like the baby that gets raped in in that movie, like is a nothing. You never, you didn't have an emotional connection to it. But if you made a movie where like you got emotionally connected to a, a family member and then something terrible happened to them, that would ha- that would have a much more significant punch than anything else. So it's why people fucking get upset when like a dog dies in a movie because usually like, I don't know, that dog was a partner in the story for a while or something. So I, I don't know. I feel like that might be, we might take a step away from the visual, the visually explicit horrific elements and like just have it exist within the narrative of the, of the story. <laughs> I don't know. So who, who the fuck knows? True. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything gestating in your mind currently that might be outside of the EGN series? Like, is there any plans to do something not related to the erotic grotesque nonsense series? Yep. I actually have, um, I'm working on a documentary right now that you guys are aware of. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep that in your wraps still, but, uh, yeah, I'm working on a documentary and I, I'm in the early stages of making um, a disturbing, uh, just a kind of, I wouldn't say like, t- like your stereotypical disturbing horror movie, but it's, it's, I would say much more focused on just being a disturbing horror movie and not having the fetish elements to it. I don't, I don't know. I think like, I'm, I'm really happy with this, like, trilogy that i have now of the egn films you know and i feel like i've kind of established those films firmly in the ground and now i can like explore other genres or other things because i want to i don't know not be just known as like the fetish core guy and be able to like do other stuff so maybe maybe I mean, I'm doing a lot of a lot of stuff within the true crime realm, so there's probably going to be more stuff coming out uh, in that that uh, avenue of my life. Um, so yeah, I would say the next handful of things coming out probably won't be super fetishy related, but will all be have extreme elements to them. So before we wrap this up, is there a Anything you want to plug or anything? Where can people buy you the EGN series and such? <laughs> uh, yeah, so the EGN uh, EGN three defilement of a porcelain doll uh, comes out December first, but I think it'll be out by the time you watch this. Um, and yeah, they I think I have only like thirty left of the the limited edition box sets, so you're gonna want to grab that quick because um, once it's gone, it's gone. Uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Cinema's Underbelly, and my other channel, um, Murderbilia Show and Tell. And um, I don't know, follow me on Twitter. And I think Twitter is probably the best place. That's where I'm allowed to really be myself and show show the more explicit stuff that Facebook would put me in jail for. So <laughs> check me out on Twitter slash Putrid Prod and uh, watch more Sick on Cinema. <laughs> we appreciate as always uh you know we give a lot of credit to you for helping us kind of uh you know for as high as you can get in the underground to move up a little bit <laughs> so thank you for coming on sir thank you when this recording